The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this first part of our Secrets of the Jungle discussion, Anne from PGE Podcast helps me go over the movie's six songs. It's a lot of material to navigate, but we managed to cover all of them, including comparing the ones that are different between the Japanese and Western versions. So, maybe it's really ten songs then. In any event, we had a lot of fun with this one, and we hope you do too. Thanks. Hi folks, Stephen here. I'm on the phone with Anne from Pikachu Podcast. And this is finally going to be our Pokemon Secrets of the Jungle music discussion. So this movie was released late 2020 in Japan after being delayed due to the pandemic. And it took an extra long time to get uh, to the West earlier in October when we were recording this. But we did finally get a chance to watch and listen to it. And uh, boy, do we have a lot to, to talk about. There's a lot of songs. There's also still a score. There's a few other things we're going to throw in here. Let's just sort of start with our expectations of this movie. So this was announced, well, it was sort of announced right after Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution came out in Japan. They basically, there was something in there that said, yeah, next year's movie is going to be the regular animation. Uh, technically speaking, both the 3D animation and the quote-unquote hand-drawn animation, that's all done on computers these days anyway, but it's going to be a more of a traditional animation. So we knew that. I'm not sure precisely when we knew that there were going to be a bunch of insert songs in it or exactly what the theme would be. I think that came late in 2019 or early or midway through 2020 as we got closer to it. As far as myself, uh, even though the Japanese insert songs are easily available on YouTube and most streaming services in kind of a an album that they put out, um, I did kind of purposely avoid most of the uh, music pre-release. That includes not only the Japanese music, but also the English uh, music EP that was put out, and also the score album. I had heard a number of things about the music. There were some folks that were pretty positive. Uh, in addition to things, uh, positive stuff about some of the Japanese vocal songs, I did hear some folks were really impressed with the uh, score by Shinji Miyazaki. I was a little... Uh, cautious on that, given my kind of lukewarm uh, opinion of most of his more recent work. But uh, as I sort of outlined there, I did try to keep relatively fresh going in, not knowing exactly what to expect. And what was your kind of approach for this one? Um, I worked very hard to not watch any trailers, like try to actively avoid like news and spoilers, partly because past movies in the Pokemon franchise have lied to me in their trailers. And like, I've found I have a better experience when I don't have a clue what's going to happen or what's all involved to a point. Like, again, I work on this podcast, so I stuff happens and I find out about it. Um, but yeah, no, I was able to go in like knowing that there would be a boy raised by Pokemon and it would take place in a jungle and Ash would be there. And, there would be a lot of 
like vague music news that we had been discussing previous. But other than that, I was able to go in kind of pretty blank slate. And that was that ended up being a great experience. So I think I'm going to keep that going for subsequent movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, different people have different experiences. Some folks won't uh, really have a clue until it gets dropped or stuff like that. So I, th- I think there was one th- part of it I did sort of listen to beforehand. There was an English version of Beverly's Coco mm-hmm. song that was released. We'll talk more about that when we get to that song in sort of our, I guess you could call it a playlist at this point. <laughs> But uh, as far as actually watching the movie, of course, it dropped on Netflix earlier in October 2021. I can only assume that the Pokemon Company and or Netflix got tired of waiting either for like a pediatric vaccine or for the pandemic to subside more than it did and stuff like that and decided not to do a theatrical thing. Um, Netflix itself, at least pre-pandemic, did do theatrical showings of various movies uh, on at least a, a somewhat limited basis. And I'm hoping they'll they'll resume that, so maybe the next Pokemon movie we do get a chance to to see that theatrically. But uh, I did end up watching this on the night it released. I had a little bit of trouble. My first plan was actually to watch it on the Wii U, but Netflix canceled the Wii U client sometime within the last, I don't know, year or so. Then I figured, well, I can try watching it on my Blu-ray player, but my Blu-ray player... It'll connect sort of to Netflix, but not really, so I couldn't really get in there. Uh, I guess that's too old. As I'm sure a lot of the folks at home will know, at least as of the recording this, there's still no Netflix client for the Switch. And uh, so my next thing was to take a cell phone that I had replaced, I guess, last year and hook that up. And that had some issues as well. So eventually I just hooked up my existing phone, uh, my current phone, to the television, booted up the Netflix app and watched there. And it worked relatively well. I think that there's a bit of a, a frame pacing issue with the the 24 frames per second or whatever footage or whatever it is. But other than that, it it played just fine. And I hope you had fewer problems than I did, but I assume otherwise your experience was much the same. I did not have the adventure that you had. (laughs) I just just put it on my computer and went to the website. (laughs) So had to revive my Netflix account for this. You're welcome, Netflix. But yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I'm sure some folks did watch as a family or as a group or something, but you know, obviously, given the current conditions, it's still hard to put any sort of, you know, large gathering or anything like that together. Uh, if you did have a group watch session, I'd love to know what people uh, thought of that. All right. Well, in a more uh, condensed movie musically, we would usually just say, okay, here's ending song A and ending song B from the other version. Um, since there's a lot of songs here, we won't be able to go quite in as much detail about some of the folks involved as we would like, but there are a couple people involved with more than one of the songs on each side that uh, we haven't really covered before, and I wanted to make sure we did a little bit there. Uh, I'm going to start actually on the English side with uh, two people involved there. So one of those is a, a musician called Sin. It's spelled C-Y-N. Her, her real name is Cynthia Nabonzi. Yeah, Cynthia Nabonzi. Uh, I think that might be how it's pronounced. Nabonzi. Not sure if her first name helped her out in any way. It'll be interesting to see if any of her other stuff gets used in a uh, Diamond and Pearl remake commercial. That'd be kind of interesting. Not to say she didn't have any talents or anything, but um, you know, a name can sometimes help. 
Uh, she's originally from Michigan, which for those of you who don't know your U.S. geography is one of the Great Lakes states. It's sort of shaped like a hand, but uh, it, has a, it has a very rounded thumb as opposed to Wisconsin, which is directly to the west that has a very sharp thumb. One thing I found interesting about her, I looked up her education. She applied to a school to a, to a school of music at a university. She got rejected there and then went to uh, through basically an IT uh, education program at that university and graduated from that. So I think she's got a little bit of a geeky vibe to her. If you look at her her Wikipedia article, they show her in like a, a NASA sweatshirt or something like that, which is kind of interesting. Uh, as far as her musical career, she was mentored by Katy Perry, which makes a lot of sense given some of the other stuff we know. Um, and she, even though her first album was only released in 2019, she's done a lot of soundtrack songs. I looked up some of it, uh, Smallfoot, Birds of Prey, and of course, Secrets of the Jungle. She does, let's see, uh, Always Safe and No Matter What. So one of those is the sort of opening credit song. The other one is the first part of the closing credits. Uh, and did you have anything else on Sin that you wanted to put out there? Um, I am kind of just learning about her now post-movie, so I don't think I have much to add, but she definitely sounds very interesting. Yeah, so she's really kind of just getting started. Uh, what, one thing I forgot to mention just now is actually kind of relevant to this movie. Uh, earlier this year, she actually had uh, her first child back in February of this year, so... Not sure exactly when these songs were recorded. It might have been before, it might have been after. Certainly made scheduling interesting, I'm sure, but also kind of gives her sort of a different perspective on the movie, I'm sure, as well. So the songs that she performed were co-written by uh, Matias Mora. Hope I got that about right. He's originally from Costa Rica. He now lives in California. Aside from doing a number of songs with Sin, it's also worked with someone, I hope I'm pronouncing this one right, uh, Jeunesse and Alice Gray and a number of other things. You can find his website online. Uh, one thing I found interesting is that although his career is in music, usually musicians have a pretty loud social media presence. Uh, this guy, he has Twitter feed, but he barely kind of uses it. He hasn't had too much uh, activity there recently, which is kind of interesting. Maybe work just has him so busy that he doesn't have time to, to be on social networks, but wanted to call that out too. And I don't suppose, uh, did you get a chance to look up anything on Matthias? No, no, he is, he is also rather new to me. So I think in this case, you are the one educating me. All right. Well, and there is a person, he's been working with Pokemon since like the beginning of Sun and Moon on the Japanese side, but he's also heavily involved, with, I guess, with the vocal songs on this on this movie. Uh, why don't you go ahead and describe, I think it's what, Taiku Okazaki? Yeah, Taiku Okazaki, um, or, you know, Okazaki Taiku. Uh, his real name is Akitoshi Oka, and yeah, he's a songwriter who's uh, a musician who's like really known for like humorous lyrics so he does like a lot of really fun um don't know like a good comparison like weird al is not the same because he uh, this guy doesn't do parodies so much but he's kind of got a reputation of like someone who does fun songs and well as we get to some of the songs in here that we'll talk about um you can kind of see that flavor coming through um but he's signed to sme uh right now and yeah, it just does a lot of really cool independent work um, and also has a Team Skull grunt character named after him uh, who appeared in the anime even. So that's fun. 
Yeah, obviously he made kind of an impression there. I think he may have actually done some rapping. Uh, Team Skull, uh, <laughs> back in the Sun and Moon uh, games and uh, corresponding, you know, interpretations definitely had uh, a bit of a, an image and reputation that's uh, a little bit offset and a little bit more hardcore than, They're a special than some of the other, of other teams we've seen before <laughs> and since. So... Yeah, I did know a few things. Apparently, he did some of his early compositional work on, like, uh, on, what is it, Band Brothers or, or on mm. DS and stuff like that? Yes. Oh, sorry, all my notes went away. But yes, that's right. And he's, yeah, kind of just slowly kind of come up through um, the indie music scene and also done some voice acting as well. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't his first thing that he did for the Pokemon anime Pose, which I think is the what the first ending theme of of the Sun and Moon anime arc? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I had mentioned that a lot of the the Japanese stuff here, you can find it. Uh, you probably just want to search Coco or something like that. I it's hard for me to give you like the best way to search for it because it probably varies a bit. But you can find it officially, and it's got not only the six songs that he worked on in some way for this movie, but also some of his other work that he's done for the Pokemon anime. And you can find that pretty much anywhere officially on like music streaming services or YouTube or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's sort of talk. There are six insert songs in this movie. Uh, normally, we'd, there'd be probably like two because it'd be one for like the opening credit sequence and then one for the ending credits, and that would be about it. This one, they they really went uh, went above and beyond for this one. Now, of these six songs, two of them are more or less the same between the English and Japanese versions, or I should say the international and Japanese versions. One of them doesn't really have any lyrics to begin with. The other one, the lyrics were more or less translated. Um, and then the other four are different. Uh, don't know exactly why. It's probably the usual stuff, like either they couldn't reach an agreement or it would have taken too long for all the territories they wanted to release the movie in and stuff like that. Those are certainly possibilities. But in any case, uh, whatever your preferences are, I, I do want to lay out some ground rules that Anne and I will, first of all, try to ourselves adhere to is that you're allowed to prefer what you want, and you can certainly mix and match. You don't have to pick all the English songs or all the Japanese songs, or you know you might not like either of them, or you might have a very hard time deciding. All of that is okay. We always try to keep an open door policy. I guess you could call it for these discussions. So whatever, whichever one you like, you know, if if one of us decides that we like the other one more, don't take it personally. Okay. Well, we're going to go in order that they appear in the movie. So right off the bat, you get, uh, I think there's a couple different names, but we're going to kind of refer to it as the Song of Zarud, which is sort of a, an anthemic theme that uh, the Zarud uh, chorus, I guess you could call it, it's a bunch of uh, gruff male-sounding voices read off some things about themselves in sort of, uh, I don't know, you can't, I don't know if you could really call it a rap. And what did you kind of think of the song that starts the movie off? Like... Uh, yeah, rap is not what I'd go with, but like definitely very anthemic, as you said. Like it's kind of just a pounding beat, it, like very percussive, very drum-like. The lyrics as well as the music itself, it kind of yeah, just pounding out the rules of being a Zarud and we own the jungle and we are the jungle. Yeah, it's just very very powerful. It 
it does what it, it is intended to do, which is to kind of strike a little fear into you, to sound very important and official, and like give you jungle vibes. Yeah, very different opening from at least the pre-alternate universe films where they would often open up with a welcome to the world of Pokemon and then do some sort of quick summary of how the world works and stuff. This one, they kind of just drop you in and say, yeah, this one's going to be a little different. You know, since these are not parallel to the, the main TV series anymore, we don't usually get any sort of anime opening carryover like we do, but we did have a song right at the start here, so... And that sort of sort of sets the tone that this this movie is not going to be you know they, they've one part of this whole alternate universe thing was to shake things up and and experiment more and I think this one really does work. Um, it's very aggressive, very drum based and stuff, kind of what you would expect from a you know a rough place like a jungle. Yes, you know I like I love this track so much, <laughs> like I really do in both languages. It's just so fun. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the English version of it is not on. There's a there's an EP of songs from the uh, English dub of this movie, and unfortunately, there's not this. You can listen to the Japanese version on that album that we talked about before. Well, not too long after that, there's another song that comes in, and this is where it kind of splits a little bit. On the English side, we have "Always Safe" by Sin, and then on the Japanese side, we have "Coco" by Beverly. We're going to start on the English side with most of these splits. So, uh, Always Safe is its a very soft song. It's basically just vocals, acoustic guitar, piano, a few little sound effects here and there, and, and not a ton else, kind of minimal as we're going through this process of, you know, Coco going from uh, an infant to a small child and stuff like that. And was that more or less the, the vibe you got from this song? Actually, no. Um, it, like that wasn't. Uh, we you kind of hipped me to a version of this song that is very minimalistic and very just piano. But uh, the version on the movie I saw, like when it came in, I was like, it felt a bit like a tonal change. Like it just came in kind of hard for me. Which is not to say it's bad because it was a very fun. Like it was a song that was like very tender and very sweet, but also very fun and energetic. So you really kind of got a sense of the dynamic between Coco and his his Dada, which you know, given how many comedic scenes were going on as um, the Zarud is raising this human child, um, really seemed to fit. But like going from like that very the a very quiet score that like was very bland in the scene immediately before the song came in to the song coming in. I thought it almost could have gone softer. And um, if we end up talking about that other track, the quieter version, like I almost wonder what that version would have felt like in the movie versus the slightly more energetic one. Yeah, yeah, it, that is an interesting point. I guess I was comparing it more to Coco, which goes in a very different oh, yeah. musical direction. <laughs> Whereas sure if you were comparing it more to the score that came in beforehand, I think they've been, for a long time now, they've been mixing the score lower in the mix than they did during earlier eras of, of the anime. So maybe that's part of it. But uh, yeah, there's there's two versions of this song. There's the one you can, I guess, see in the movie and buy commercially. And then, which I didn't think was, to be honest, that... Uh, it was, certainly was not bombastic. And then there's an even more stripped-down version that I don't know really where it came from. Um, you can find it on YouTube, and it's basically got a few more things paired back. I'm not sure if this is somehow got leaked out there, 
Um, or if there's like, a, if anyone knows if there's a radio CD single that was sent out and someone ripped that and put it on there, I'd love to know. But getting into some of the, you know, other aspects of it, uh, there's that, uh, there's, there's a lot of series of rising and falling notes, which isn't totally unusual in music. But, it, um, you know, it uses like some, a lot of flight metaphors in this one. And, you know, the way it works, it does sound kind of like a small bird. Uh, or maybe a small plane, certainly not like a jumbo jet or a fighter jet or something like that. This is not danger zone, you know, taking off and then coming back and stuff like that. Uh, and there's some some neat little instruments. I noticed there's a rain stick in in both versions of this song that's used, since obviously jungles get a lot of rain and stuff like that. That's kind of something you would more or less expect. But uh, I did want to call out one of the lyrics as well. Um, one of the lyrics at least is, uses, I believe is, I was just listening to it before we did the discussion, it says, at your doorstep, which of course, you know, I, I don't know, laws vary in different countries and different states and stuff like that, but there's that story of someone, you know, abandoning a child they can't care for or whatever on someone's doorstep, or like either a house or a church or a hospital or something like that. And that feels extraordinarily intentional, even though, as we find out later in the movies, the circumstances here are a fair bit different than what might happen, you know, in real life where that type of thing occurs. Yeah, like it definitely had a very, I don't know, parental sort of, I don't know, perspective at its core, kind of watching the young person explore the world and, you know, fly off and, and, you know, try and fail and come back and leave. And yeah, just, oh, it was very sweet, but also like very full of a sense of exploration and freedom at the same time. Lullaby by Willow for, I mean, Manda, probably didn't need those Jigglypuff samples to indicate what character prompted its inclusion, as the lyrics match quite well. The puffball isn't the largest, strongest, or most intimidating Pokemon out there, but it does have another trick up its sleeve that it's more than willing to share, and the first verse summarizes that pretty accurately. As for the second verse, the primary Jigglypuff from the anime does appear many times throughout the series, making the term deja vu very appropriate. Even the chorus manages to provide a good parallel, as the repeated use of the song's title mimics how most Pokemon say their name when talking. Finally, the inclusion of the word capture in the bridge hints, unintentionally of course, that sleeping Pokemon are easier to catch. As for the musical aspects, while Latin influence might seem more appropriate for a singing and dancing mythical Pokemon that would come many years later, it is still fitting for our cherry pink balloon. In any event, what do you think of this adopted character song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. All right. Well, like I said, with these, we we won't be going maybe as deep as we would like with some of these, but uh, let's switch over to the Japanese side. So Coco by Beverly. Now, Beverly is someone we've we've, uh, heard from several times. I think she's done things for a couple of different movies. This might be, well, she did an ending theme somewhere, I forget, but she's, uh, this might be her her biggest thing yet. And why don't you sort of describe uh, sort of your initial impressions of this song? Yeah, like this song we were talking about comparisons it goes hard like there's a lot of there's a lot of drum beat there's a lot of energy there's a lot of like vocal choruses and then you know Beverly's soft voice and harmonies and it it kind of very much like always safe like has that 
feeling of like watching a young person go off and explore the world and like their feelings and the rush of exhilaration and sense of belonging that's very uh very cool so it's like it's a song i love um like i said it goes a lot harder than always safe does so again i'm not sure how i would feel had i watched this in japanese if i I would have thought it felt but like there's a lot of that same sentiment of like maybe a parent or maybe a friend like touching hands together and we'll be lost together and our hearts always connected leave the scary stuff up to me um and at some point you grow up and uh, then you left the nest and i grew sad like a lot of these kind of sentiments of Again, watching out for a younger person who is so full of life and excitement and wanting to protect that in them. Yeah, I was kind of going to ask what the what the, exactly the song is talking about. I mean, there is an English version, although it's an extremely direct translation, which I tend to find doesn't always leave the best impression. I think like I think one of the lines comes in that English version comes across as like you lead a better life or something like that in in there, and you know. You know, it, it. I guess it's okay if you wanted them to use that in the English version, but quite, quite personally, I don't know that people would be. I don't know. It it just seems very awkward like that. I think it would have been better had they tried to just you know hand that off to someone to do like a, a make a wish uh, type of job on the on the song, to keep similar themes, but to work over there if they wanted to use that original melody. Um, as it stands, I listed that this had a uh, a driving beat. And, you know, I could certainly tell that they put a lot of production effort into it and that Beverly loved doing the performance she did. I don't know if it's just the language barrier or what, but the uh, the song didn't register super high on me, but maybe that's just my musical taste. I don't know. Yeah, it could be a bit of both. Um, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I, I will not begrudge its existence or anything like that. I don't think it's awful or anything, but it didn't, didn't uh, set my heart, heart on fire, yeah. so... I guess with with both of those kind of out of the way, if I had to pick one of these, to be honest, I kind of think that these uh, you've heard the the phrase "hit the nail on the head." I think these songs actually tried hitting the same nail from opposite sides Ooh. to a certain extent. I think that "Always Safe" might be a little too not, not energetic enough. I don't know. That's probably not quite what the words I wanted to use for the scenes it's playing over. But I almost feel like Coco is going too far in the other direction in terms of that. But all that being said, for personal preference and for use in the scene, I think I prefer Always Safe. I don't know. Anne, you're allowed <laughs> to disagree with me, so don't right. be afraid if either way. It's, it's hard to say just because, like, Coco makes me feel like I'm flying and I feel so excited. Like, I remember being a young person and I, like, right now I work with a youth group and, like, it kind of stirs up that joy of watching them be 13 at all. Like, so it's like, it's doing things for me that the movie is trying to do and that's all great. I have also not watched the movie, though, with this particular song playing under the scene. So, again, I don't know how it would hit me, like, the fact that it is going so hard. And there is some sad stuff happening in that scene when, like, the Zarud realizes this kid's parents are dead. (laughs) And, spoiler, um, so... Like, in some ways, always safe, just because it doesn't come in quite that hard, kind of can get the sort of, you know, come stop your crying, it'll be all right vibes from Tarzan as it kind of deals with some of those similar things. 
So I'm I'm kind of torn. I think right now I would say always safe for the movie, but as like the theme song of the movie Coco, but it's a very fine line and the dial may shift over time. Yeah. Yeah, that, as I listened to these two songs, I I sort of tried to picture Coco over the opening sequence and maybe it's just cuz I saw always safe first it was it was difficult or it seemed maybe a little too energetic for some of the scenes that were happening in there. I mean, maybe in editing over the thing there, it works out a bit better. All right, well, we got an- another song that comes in about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes later after Ash and Coco have, uh, well, he Ash, we're going to spoil some of the stuff in here. We are kind of already have, but we kind of assume you've seen the movie. At one point, Coco gets knocked unconscious, and Ash rescues him from uh, a lake or a stream or whatever, and takes him into the city for medical attention. And, uh, you know, there's a whole scene where he wakes up, and he's like, fish out of water and all that fun stuff. And then eventually it comes to a point where Ash shows him around the the city that's near this jungle. And um, this is another split here. So on the English side, we have My New Friends, which is uh, Ben Dixon and The Sad Truth. Uh, this is an Ed Goldfarb-produced song. And then on the Japanese side, we have something called Show Window. Um, Anne will talk about more about that. I did make some notes for it, but she'll talk more about that when we get to it. But uh, let's kind of start with My New Friends. Um, you know, this is a very much, uh, very much stands in contrast, certainly to Song of Zarud. <laughs> Stylistically, this is a bouncy, bright song. This has uh, much more of an a city feel to it, even though the city outside the jungle isn't super bustling or huge. It's got some roads and stuff like that. But uh, and I assume that was one of the first things you noticed about this. Yeah, song. like it, there, this movie has taken us a lot of different places with music, and like again, this is something completely different. Yeah, it just very much set the tone of like, we're going to have just some fun right now. And yeah. Yeah, one thing I want to kind of note about this is that when it goes to the my best, my best friends, the my best has kind of a, a, a honestly, a doorbell quality to it, almost as if, oh, my friends oh, are coming yeah. over. They're here now and stuff like that. I'm not sure how intentional that was. I'm sure there was some thought behind it, but it seems like that just kind of works there. I don't know if if that struck you, Anne. Um, you know, like doorbell is not like the word I would have used until you said it, but like I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah, and I kind of love that quality. But yeah, however you describe it, whatever words used to describe it, it definitely has a sense of like, come on and join the fun, or like everybody's coming and I want to join them, and that's that's so neat. Yeah. Now, I guess one criticism I do have, this is on the EP you can buy of the songs from the movie, uh, on, from, the, from the English adaptation. Uh, kind of the problem is all you get in there is the music that's actually in the movie. Like, there's only really, like, one real verse in there. Like, I would love to see this song fully realized. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. If they ever get an opportunity to do that, that would be really nice. I don't know about you, Anne. Did you have a, a similar um- feeling there? Maybe. Like, I would definitely be interested in that. Like, I like I liked this song, and it did what it wanted to do. I didn't love this song. So it's like, I'm not, like, I'd like to hear it fully realized, but I'm kind of, there's part of me that's just like, eh, it's not my favorite song in this movie. But that doesn't mean I necessarily think it's the weak link or anything, but, like, I'm not mm. as enthused about it. It was just kind of like, oh, this is really great for the moment it's in, 
and then I'm done. <laughs> well, I did want to throw another thing out there. Um, we'll talk about the Pokemon 25 album in a future discussion. Uh, but one of the songs on there, there's a song in there called Art Show. I think it's by the Yazzle, I think is the name of the, the artist. Actually, it's Tierra Whack. And it's a little bit longer than this scene goes on for. It's about 30 seconds long. It's about two minutes versus the scene, which is about a minute and a half. And there are seemingly some similar themes there. To be honest, uh, Art Show, like I wouldn't call it really bad or anything, but it's certainly not the most interesting one on there. I don't know. Anne, have you had a chance to listen to that song? Do you think it would have worked for this oh, scene? or You know, it might have. Um, I'd have to relook at it again and relook at the lyrics again. But, you know, I think that might have been another good choice or another very interesting one. Yeah, the scene is calling it an art show is maybe a little bit narrow. Like, I think <laughs> at, right at the beginning, they walk by some some art of a like a Caterpie or something. But then they go to like a, an ice cream store and to like a concert or something like that and some other things. So it's not I mean, yes, cooking is an art. Uh, music is an art, but maybe I'm, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to know that. Now it's entirely possible also that art show is destined like for a commercial in something coming up later. Like they'll do something like themed around art from the TCG or from themed around Smeargle, and that'll explain everything. But at this point, I did kind of just want to throw it out there as a possible alternate for this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I guess that's a that's a fun splice if you want to try that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Japanese alternative show window, which um, I guess I'm not sure exactly who does the vocals here, if it's uh, the main guy himself or something else. And why don't you talk a little bit about this song? Yeah, by all accounts, it is um, Okazaki who's doing the voices, but it's not 100% sure about that but yeah like so yeah this is kind of again just a very fun song but when i talked earlier about like he's kind of known for fun lyrics this is kind of where that's on display because he's writing from the point of view of a young boy who's like it's a new day and i'm discovering the world and it's like oh that thing in the shop is cute that thing is cool i'm i'm going around drinking fizzy sodas and listening to my favorite songs and riding on my bike and like there's this fun moment where he's talking about like i can play until my voice goes out and like he's just screaming those lyrics so yeah and this idea of like there's so many fun places around us like i cannot pick where to go and to, like, you know, stop just staring at the shop windows, like, go out and explore them and, and change the world. It's like an adventure. Um, so it's kind of doing a lot of the same things as the English side. Again, it's just a little bit different, a little bit of a different um, musical style, slightly a little bit different lyrics. But I think the core sentiment is the same. Yeah. I mean, they are filling the same void, which I guess technically all of these are, but they definitely went in similar directions here. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like like some of the, the the chorus I felt was particularly slick on this one. I think of the of the six Japanese songs this actually that are in this movie, this might actually be my favorite to mm-hmm. listen to at least. But that's kind of just the thought I had. It, definitely, obviously, very much a city, sort of a, a, a show tune-ish uh, feel as well. <laughs> um, song and dance numbers, sort of what I have in there. So I think as far as a preference, I don't know, it, it's kind of not quite a fair fight because I feel like if there was an, a, that second verse existed for my new friends, 
that, you know, maybe they could do some interesting stuff in there like they kind of have when they've added mm. verses to other Pokemon songs. So it doesn't feel like a completely fair comparison, but I think Show Window is certainly, I think, more fun in some ways to listen to. The, the Scratch, similar, <laughs> but nearby itches. I really, I'm not sure on this one. I, like, I don't have a definitive definitive call on this one one way or the other. There are things I really like about both of them, and maybe that's just, you know, they, they do similar-ish things well. I'm not yeah. sure. I appreciate that they both exist, though. Yeah, it's, it's a tough choice for me, too, because, again, they doing similar things well is a good description. For me, I think, like, I liked the English side well enough, but then I heard Show Window, and I was like, oh, that's, like, so it's it speaks to me on some level in a way that, like, it may not speak to everybody else. So it's like, for me, the dial tips slightly in that direction. But as you say, it's not an entirely fair comparison. And, you know, maybe, as you say, a a second verse or a slightly more realized version of the English track would would sway me a little bit because they're both very good. I'd also be very interested in a an English translation, not a direct literal translation, but more like a, a reimagining with similar themes and stuff of the Japanese version. I think that one might, this might be one of those ones kind of like, you know, a small thing where mm. it actually works really well if, if you get the right yeah. people behind it, to be honest. Yeah, that would be really fun. All right. Well, let's let's move on to our next song. It's one that's the same in both. It's what, Mori no Humming? It, well, it has voices, but it doesn't actually have any lyrics. And why don't you sort of talk? There's like a, a children's choir that does this one. Yeah, uh, the Hum of the Forest. Um, it's The vocals in it are the Tokyo Metropolis Hino City Nanao Midori Elementary School Choir who are very good singers by my ear for uh, being in elementary school. And yeah, like they kind of, it doesn't appear to have any lyrics as much as, you know, kind of a just structured vowel sounds mostly, but it's just very sweet and haunting in some places and beautiful kind of background chorus of angel voices. (laughs) It is definitely pleasant. I think I enjoyed, like, as a point of comparison, Wrapped Up in Light from the uh, Celebi Voice of the Forest movie that comes in towards mm, the end there. Yeah. I think that one, I think, was a little more melodic, has a little bit more of an impact, even though they have similar types, similar things going on. Spoiler alert for both movies, mm-hmm. kind of, um, <laughs> and stuff like that. So I think I kind of still prefer that one, which eventually would become Celebi's theme when in Celebi returned. Well, not it returns in this movie, but they don't use that theme, strangely. Um, it returns in the Zoroark movie, and they do bring that theme back. So I think that one I, I like a little bit more than this one. It's, it's a nice addition, I suppose, um, although it may not mesh as well as, as maybe some folks would like. We'll talk more about sort of the... That aspect of it later in the discussion, I think. Uh, anything else you want to say about that one? I'm not sure. Like, it's a track I think I'd like as background music, and and it, it definitely a track that works extremely well for this scene. I kind of prefer, I think, this for this particular uh, the particular way it was used. It not being so melodic. Just again, it's it's the forest humming. It's not the forest belting out loudly so for me i think i kind of like it in that respect to just kind of be its sort of pleasant yet unstructured self 
I suppose. But, yeah. You wouldn't hire just any band to do a song based on the legend from Pokemon 2000, as not many acts would have the talent to give it just the right balance of seriousness and humor. Thankfully, the B-52s were willing and able to provide their services for the soundtrack. Sure, the chosen one might not be as off the wall as Rock Lobster, but it does capture the sense of fun the band is known for, and with its surf rock influence, it fits in nicely with the movie's tropical island setting. If you want to draw parallels to the characters of the movie, well, Fred's voice does remind me of the island elder, and Kate and Cindy could represent Melody, but it's more likely you would simply attribute it to a musical group performing during the festival. I suppose that's an idea if this movie ever gets a remake. In any case, do you think they made the right decision tapping this group for this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well we got another divergence here. This is the song that plays right before the movie ends, technically speaking. Um, there's there's a split here. So on, on the English side, we have See What I See, performed, sort of, by Ben Dixon. We'll kind of get into that. And then the Japanese side, we have Strange and Wonderful Creatures. I have what? Uh... Totasu Matsumoto um, as the person there. So this this is a bit odd. Let's start on the English side, as we've been doing. Like I said, this is the song that plays as Coco is leaving the village. And uh, it also has a reprise, the, this English one does, towards the end of the end credits in, in piano form. It's a very reflective song, I feel like. I also noticed that it kind of has like two different portions to it. I don't know if movements, they're a little too short to really be movements, but they're, they're definitely an A section and a B section. I don't know, Anne, what were your kind of thoughts on this one? Um, like, yeah, it's kind of like that sense of, I, I don't know a better way to say it other than A section and B section, really, but like a, a sense that it's trying to tell two very different sentiments in the same song. And trying to find a way to blend them, um, which kind of could work really well for like all the complex emotions that are happening in this scene with people, you know, a, a community that Coco hadn't been allowed to be a part of. And now he's leaving and everything that just happened and being of two worlds. So it's like there, I don't know how intentional that all is, but, you know, the idea that it's having, it's trying to communicate a lot of different things musically for, again, something that is a very complex, there are multiple sides to that scenario for all the characters. That's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe the splitting is appropriate given that, you know, we have we have Coco at the end of the movie decides that, not unlike Ash, he wants to kind of go on a journey. Although he's been thinking about before he met Ash, but he wants to see things outside of the, the general area there. And maybe that's part of the reason there. I, I do need to give this one. This is one I definitely need to give more listens. But one thing I wanted to mention, if you look at the end credits, it says vocals by Ben Dixon. But if you listen both in the movie itself and the version in the end credits, there's no lyrics. There's no voices whatsoever in this thing. So I don't know exactly. Maybe this was like a last minute change before, like the, like after the end titles were produced, but before you know, it went out to Netflix. They decided to make this change for some reason. I guess I should probably try. I think this might be something that Ed is willing to talk about or, or Ben or whatever, um, what exactly happened there. If they, 
had some sort of weird issue production-wise or stuff like that. It, it is a nice tune. Um, yeah. I will give it that. But I need to listen to it more to... Yeah, maybe to f- they felt it just worked well without lyrics. To, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it might be one of those things. But I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we're all curious, what, what were those lyrics? Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll find out at some point. You never know. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk about Strange and Wonderful Creatures, the Japanese song in here. I did listen to this. I remember I have notes written down for all these songs. Um, I think I, I put down it has a kind of a revolving feel with piano, guitars, and strings. And maybe you can do a little bit better job describing it than I did. <laughs> Um, I, I I don't know if I can describe it musically much better, but yeah, kind of a just not lullaby-ish, but like something about it that kind of just lulls you into a, a rhythm and a, a a comforting sort of sense, I guess, of musicality, which makes sense with the lyrics uh, it has, which are very rep- repeating. It doesn't seem so like looking at it, an English translation of it, but if you kind of look at the structure of the Japanese lyrics, like there's a lot of repetition that goes on here um, using a lot of the same words and a lot of the same um, sounds. Um, and that's kind of cool. Lyrically, it's it's definitely from the uh, point of view of the Zarud uh, dad and kind of these strange and wonderful creatures that are children um, that are humans and like what does it mean to be a parent and a child and like I you know I want to be with you forever but no matter where you are I'll always be your dad and you know kind of how he's grown as a person because he's raised a strange and wonderful creature that he does not always understand but has enriched his life Okay, I was going to ask you. I did. I did look up English translations for some of these, um, since there were so many of them. It was kind of hard to store so much information in the relatively short time that I had to to work through all of this. I, I I did listen to them a fair bit. I did did like the style of this one. As far as choosing a favorite here, these ones are kind of I don't know. They're kind of askew in a way that makes them very difficult to compare. Yeah. Especially since you know we we mentioned the lyrics; those definitely exist on the Japanese side, English side. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm hoping somewhere out there there's a version that'll have lyrics or something like that that we get to listen to at some point. Um, so this one, I I, I kind of gotta just plop down a question mark on. There are things I like about both songs. Neither one of them, I think, is so on the nose or so fitting that I think I can put it above the other. I don't know. Perpendicular is kind of a thing. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm kind of of the same mind because on the one hand, I'm a little bit leaning uh, towards the English track um, by Ben Dixon. Well, not sung by Ben Dixon, but just because (laughs) like – Thinking about my experience with the movie, I'm thinking about, like, do I want lyrics here? And I'm not sure I do. But again, having not seen it in Japanese, that I don't know if it's fair for me to decide that yet without having heard it. And this, the Japanese uh, Strange and Wonderful Creatures, is also very sweet and touching. And I am kind of a, a lover and a proponent of the anime character song. So yeah, 
It's oh, it's a tough call. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of like they don't have almost don't have enough overlap, even though they're in the same scene and they clearly have similar intentions. There's just not enough to to really say there, which is kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're like so different in ways that it's not easy to like compare them because they both bring you very different things but both very different good things so (laughs) all right well we got one more song to sort of talk about but for the end credits on the english side we have no matter what uh sin comes back for this one and then we have i'm home and welcome back from uh kayla kimura i I probably i'm never good with the japanese names Anne is always better at that (laughs) that's one reason i brought her into these discussions to be honest (laughs) Um, but again, we're going to start on the English side. No matter what from sin, um, I put down, I don't know if I'm using this term correctly, but I put down a genre of glitch pop, which maybe is not glitchy enough to count as that, but there are, uh, interesting things like some, some dog noises, some banging of, of pots and pans maybe is what that is. I'm not sure a metal sheet of some sort in there. And and that's just the instrumentation. And and what what kind of struck you on that end? It kind of had a very like I, again the instrumentation you're describing is not stereotypically jungle, but it gives me the jungle vibe in the sense that it is like the instruments they're using are evocative. Like if they're banging some metal together, like that strikes something inside you. That's a sound that it makes you feel something and like it it feels very like like the style of music is not garage band but that sense of like oh this is exciting the instruments we're using and the ways we're making the percussive beat is something that feels very free and very like very nature driven and and like the dogs barking or whatever like it, it's calling up animals and nature and like the passions in our souls that are not in traditional pop music necessarily. So like there's something about it that again just feels very open and free and in that sense kind of reflects a little bit of jungle and a little bit of like the life that Coco is leading which it you know again he's he is technically a human but he's been living in a very different world that's you know not the same structure as the society Ash is living in. So the music kind of gives that sense of like freedom and anarchy and like like there's a wide world to explore and it's not all polished and rhythmic in the way that we're used to in pop music so there's something about that that i kind of think works very well yeah and and even just having you know real world animal noises in there is kind of interesting rather than someone doing a pokemon voice not that we never get that i think it's occasionally used i think it's if they do it's usually like a stock uh, sound thing, which this quite likely is too. I don't know that Sin, if she has a dog or <laughs> or one of the other folks there recorded that. You know, people have done interesting things in there, but there's certainly dog sounds and sound effect libraries, you know, music production libraries. So that wouldn't be that strange. Uh, let's talk about some of the lyrics. Uh, one of the things it talks about is, uh, one of the lyrics I want to call out is like a misfit, which is towards the beginning there, which Certainly applies to a lot of the characters in this, you know, both uh, Dada Zarudi being sort of a, a semi-outcast living 
sort of in a in a nether world in between the Zerodi and the and the human population. Coco, of course, occupies a somewhat similar space. Um, and then we have let's see. Oh well, the ending sequence features a couple of different Pokemon of the jungle. One of them being Cramorant, the comic relief Pokemon of Sword and Shield. Um, <laughs> So, which which appears several other times in the movie, I, I assume you you, uh, you uh, sort of caught that one, Anne. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a it's it's a line that applies to a lot of characters in here, and you can like broaden it up to like Ash and Pikachu, and like the friendship and the connection they have have always been a little bit misfitty in the world around them. Like Ash even says, like when I said my you know, would talk to the other kids about my dream, they laughed at me and they made me feel like I didn't fit in. Um, and then you've got the bad guy of this movie, uh, Zed, who for all he is the bad guy and we're not supposed to sympathize with him because he does very wrong things, feels like a little bit of a misfit because he's like, no, I'm right. This is right. Why is nobody else getting this? And again, I don't want to sympathize with him too hard, but if he had made better choices about those feelings, like this is a song that could apply to him. Um, and yeah, like Team Rocket, always kind of different, feels like a misfit, was born to be someone who sticks out. All three of, of those guys are definitely, this could apply to them. So it's, it's definitely a multifaceted uh, section of the lyrics. All right. Another lyric I wanted to bring up here is that uh, a couple of the lines in each verse end with the phrase, no doubt which I'm not sure precisely why that was included, except that um, I I don't think this is something that's used when localizing the series uh, these days so much. But I know that maybe it was 5th or 6th gen, um, a lot of times Ash in the in the English dub would end you know one of his lines with the phrase, uh, no doubt. I don't know if that's intentional. It's, it's kind of a byproduct of how they decided to do the localization there when they have like a different a vastly, like a couple extra syllables and they can't come up with a good natural way or, you know, stuff like that. They might tack something to the front or the ends there. And I don't, like I said, I'd love to know if that was intentional or what, or if it's just a stylistic choice they made independently or what. I don't know. Anne, any, anything you wanted to bring up there? I mean, the cynic in me is just like, I probably just used it because it rhymes. But, like, I hadn't noticed that. Like, I don't think I even realized that Ash had this this verbal little tick of his. <laughs> so that's interesting. And, you know, if it, there's a connection, that's fantastic. And I love it. I Deep down, I don't think there really was because it's kind of common. But that's a beautiful connection to make. And whether it was intentional or not, the fact that we can draw a connection to some things in the anime is very neat. Yeah, so if I ever get a chance to talk to one of the writers, I might ask them that one. Um, let's see, the, the only other thing here is you had mentioned the child perspective, which sort of stands out both kind of against, I guess, the Japanese song, but also against the Sin song from the opening, which is much more from the parent perspective, which I think makes a nice compliment in that particular case. But speaking of the Japanese song, let's talk about I'm Home and Welcome Back. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about the singer and then tell us a little bit about the song as well. Yeah, so uh, Kimura Kaela, uh, she is a um, singer, model, entertainer, personality. She does a lot of things. Uh, she's very famous in Japan. And let's see, she was 
she's her father was British, so she's kind of got a little bit of um, multiculturalism in her family. Like apparently, when growing up, she spoke English, um, but has since forgot almost all of it. Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, pity there, but that's still kind of cool. Uh, again, she's got kind of an international presence in her life. Um, she's uh, the, the reason she's on my radar is because she had a very famous radio show for a while, and um, that's how Perfume, my favorite band that we've talked on this show in other uh, Pokemon-related uh, discussions, got their start uh, through her because she just kind of um, hyped them so well. Um yeah, she's just been in the entertainment industry since like the very early 2000s and is, you know, still going strong in various ways, either as a singer, either as a model, uh, you know, a host of various television or radio shows and singing. And later, like in life, she married uh, Nagayama Eita and uh, they have they have children together. And she's yeah, so just living a very cool life in Tokyo and just a wide, wide career for this woman. I'm pretty sure like a lot of people who are into Japanese uh, music and Japanese culture probably actually have an idea of who Kimura Kaya is or have at least, if they don't know her, touched a lot of the entertainment she's worked on. Well, that was a lot about her. What about this song? I did listen to it and it's, it's, it, well, I'll give my opinion of it a little bit later, but why don't you go ahead and start? <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, so I'm Home, Welcome Back is, it kind of speaks to a lot of the old movie ending themes we'd have on the Japanese sides where it's like, this also could work as a single um, independently of Pokemon, but it's kind of about the a life that two people have together. and like the love that one person has for the other and wanting like to wish them all the best in the world. Like may you always have joy. May you never feel lonely, you know, make friends out there in the world. And the thing that's going to connect us is that you say, I'm home to Daima. I say, welcome back. Okay. And so it could, it could very much be a romantic relationship, but it also could be a parent and child relationship and i think that's kind of what they're leaning hard into for this movie is the idea that kids grow up they go to school they leave the nest and you know you a parent will wonder like you know how many more times am i going to be able to prepare our lunch together how many times am i going to be able to like let you cry on my shoulder and hug you or stroke your hair or whatever but sooner or later you'll go off out of my sight but you can always come back and I will always welcome you home. And like, we will always be connected by that thing we share that brings you back and that lets me welcome you. So it's it's a very sweet kind of bittersweet song about um, caring about someone deeply, but knowing that, you know, life doesn't always keep two people together physically, but you can be connected in other ways. Yeah, yeah, that was more or less what I got from browsing the uh, the Japanese and English translation that I found. Um, so this is this is more from the parent perspective, um, like I said, whereas the English ending is from the, the 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 child perspective. Although it does also have on the English side a parent mm -hmm. perspective song. As far as the instrumentation, a lot of guitar work, both electric and acoustic in here, which is I guess I guess a nice blend. 
to be kind of honest, although I absolutely recognize the production value and the enthusiasm of the singer and stuff like that, and she is quite talented, uh, this is kind of like the opening song Coco, one that didn't register super, didn't excite me a lot for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the language barrier and stuff like that. I, I kind of liked it, but it didn't like... Mm, wasn't super amazing to me or anything like that. So I, I guess if we're going to go straight to a decision from there, uh, no matter what, I, I also think actually no matter what, just in my mind, I know that I think I'm home and welcome back. I think that might have actually, the end sequence might actually have been structured around it or vice versa mm. um, or edited around it or something. Um, but I think like tonally, no matter what goes better with the ending credits uh, sequence and the various Pokemon popping in and out and stuff like that. So I'm kind of giving the like the personal preference here to no matter what. But Anne, what are your kind of thoughts here? Um, I, I think I'm kind of with you in that like personal preference in general, like song to song, no matter what. Like I just really love that song. And it definitely under the ending credits fits better. I'm a little like there's a part of me that like has a hand still in the other pocket because um, I'm home. Welcome back is like, as you say, fits the theme of the movie and kind of like that last plot scene that we end on very well. And like being that Kimura Kaela is a mother, like there's a part of that that comes through in her performance of some of these lyrics and like I'm personally like the words tadaima and okairi like have a meaning for me as like Japanese words in a way that you know sometimes in when you're learning a foreign language like it just becomes data but like those words have like a very visceral connection to me so, like, when I hear them, I'm like, oh, that means something to me beyond just, oh, I know what that translates to in English. I don't know if that made sense. But, like, so for me, like, there's a part of me that's, like, always going to love this song. So I think I think I'm with you no matter what, like, edges out. But I, like, am always holding on to <laughs> I'm home, welcome back, and dragging with, with me. <laughs> yeah, so... Whatever your decisions are, uh, or your preferences are, or you know ones you can't decide on, like we really couldn't with that uh, <laughs> next to last one there. Please let us know. We always love uh, to hear your feedback, and we'll try and include that in a future discussion. You can uh, leave a comment on this video, um, or you can drop us an email at pokepress at gmail dot com. All right. Well, still plenty more musical stuff to talk about uh, before we give our, our overall opinion. Uh, as usual, there is a score that goes with this movie. It is- Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Uh, you kind of mentioned that you haven't heard the the, the Japanese track. They're, now, they did put a Japanese language track in Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, although it had the English songs in it. For this one, there was not uh, any sort of Japanese audio. I can only assume that the uptake on, on Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution was just not high enough for them to justify doing that, or something other logistical issue prevented them from doing it. Cause they, um, so, 
you know, I, I wouldn't mind it being available, but at least, at least the song itself is, which mm-hmm. I do appreciate. 